Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome aboard, because we're about to take the trip to the Flight Path Museum, LAX. And my crew includes Agnes Huff, Robert Ackerman, and Lynn Edelman. Welcome to the show, Agnes. Hi, Marcia. Thrilled to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. Welcome to the show, Robert. Hi. Thank you for having uh, having me on today. My pleasure. And my neighbor, Lynn. Welcome to the show, Lynn. Yes. Hi, Marcia. Thank you. Great to be here. It's, it's funny, Lynn. Lynn and I saw each other just a few days ago as we watched the quick flyover of the Thunderbirds, and it was like, Oh, yes, we saw them. They lasted all of about five seconds, but it was still pretty exciting. Oh, it was okay. so exciting. <laughs> it was. So our show is about the history of the Flight Path Museum from the early days as a Flight Path Learning Center to what is now known as the Flight Path Museum LAX. But before we do, let's get to know my crew, as I'm liking to call them. And let's start with you, Agnes. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Marcia. I'm really honored to serve as president of the board of directors for Flight Path, where I've been involved for about a little over five years. I actually started my career as a stewardess for Pacific Southwest Airlines. I planned to stay a year and ended up there for 15. Of course, uh, flying had its benefits, overnights and layovers, where I was able to earn my master's and doctorate in psychology. And I actually used my degree being a first responder for major airline accidents, including PSA, US Air, and Delta, where I provided post-crisis debriefing. Still today, I'm licensed as a marriage and family therapist. But my real career, in 1995, I founded Agnes Huff Communications Group, and we are a full-service communications firm working with great clients, providing PR, marketing, and crisis management. Naturally, with my background, I do specialize in aviation, travel, and tourism, which kind of rounds out our professional services. My firm continues to provide me with challenges every day and opportunities to learn as we see a variety of clients. But I was born in Budapest, Hungary, so I'm an immigrant to the U.S. I lived on the East Coast for two years. Then my dad got really tired of the snow, and he moved us to Burbank underneath <laughs> I was a valley girl growing up until I got married and then moved to the west side. Um, my husband and I raised our one daughter in Culver City, and 20 years ago we achieved a dream, building our new home from the dirt up in Playa del Rey. So honestly, I can say I consider myself a real native Angelino. That is such a great story, Agnes. I didn't know that about you. So you were wearing those hot, backs, hot pants back in the day, weren't you? <laughs> yes, I, I still have them. Oh, that's a great story. We're going to be talking about uniforms as we go through the story. So, Robert, tell us a little bit about yourself as well. Yes. Well, I uh, grew up in Westchester, which is, of course, home of LAX. And 
I attended Cal State Long Beach, and I graduated from UCLA with a bachelor's degree in history, uh, a career with the future. Originally, I was an engineering major, but uh, I've been involved in the aerospace industry most of my professional life as a project manager. I was involved in the startup of DirecTV and uh, Connection by Boeing, which was a satellite-based Internet service for airline passengers. And uh, since uh, 98, I've been on the Flight Path Board and been on the Corporate Secretary since 2019. Oh, that's so great. So here's another Westchester guy. Yay, Westchester. And, <laughs> and you went to Westchester High, is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. Just uh, like me. We're, I... we're both comments. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, some of us <laughs> have gone funny. far from home. At elementary school, I'd see, see the planes land, and at the, the high school, yep. you'd see them take off. You, we sure did. And Lynn, you now I know now you live a few blocks from me, but please tell us a little bit about your background and and who you are. Well, um, I've lived in Westchester for almost 40 years, but I actually am not from California. I'm originally uh, from a small rural town in upstate New York near the Vermont border, and maybe you heard of Bennington, Vermont. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went to college in Connecticut where I received uh, my teaching credential, and I was an instructor at Morris Junior College in Hartford in the business division. I taught classes like marketing, advertising, and sales. But during a vacation break, um, I took my very first airplane trip, and it was to Fort Lauderdale to visit a college friend, and it was on Eastern Airlines. Well, anyway, that's mm -hmm. exactly when I knew I wanted to expand my education and at 30,000 feet <laughs> and um, be, enjoy travel uh, throughout the country and the world. So I went and got hired as a flight attendant. Uh, by TWA and uh, so there I was off to training and uh, you know one of the things they don't tell you when you go into training though is that you're going to have a freight flight and it was on the 707 <laughs> and here we are doing rolls on a 707 and uh, I was hooked then because it was mm -hmm. like an e-ticket at Disneyland. <laughs> um, anyway, my first base was Chicago, and uh, my first uh, flight was Chicago JFK. And let me tell you, sitting on the back jump seat of a 707, there is totally the thrill of a takeoff. So other bases I had, though, were JFK, St. Louis, and then ultimately LAX, um, through the career, I was a flight service manager, a purser, full-time union official, and a training instructor. I had a really great 30-year career. Um, you might know that TWA did get acquired in 2001 by American Airlines, and uh, sadly, in 2003, they did furlough all of the TWA flight attendants. But I had started working part-time for the Argonaut newspaper in 2002 while I was still flying for American. And then that ultimately turned into a full-time 10-year career. My involvement became um, with FlyPath, started in 2003, uh, volunteer, and then was asked to be on the board of directors, became a VP, and then I am uh, immediate past president, and I presently serve on the board and as uh, the chair of community and industry relations. Whoa. Well, you well, you know, when I said at the top of the hour that you were all very much connected to LAX, which is how a lot of people know our airport, 
uh, Robert, you and I probably remember knowing it as Mines Field. I grew up <laughs> on 99th Street. That was one block from Century Boulevard. And we had to close the door during the summertime if you wanted to hear the television because the airplanes were literally flying over our homes um, back in those days. But that's for another story. So let's let's talk about, because there could be a lot of reminiscing as we talk about the airport, and it's very interesting how you are all connected uh, to this Flight Path Museum, which I remember initially being the flight uh, the learning the the learning path, but we're going to get to that in a moment. But Agnes, what I'd like to know is, why did you get involved with the flight path? Well, I was very much involved in traveling to and from the airport while I was flying for PSA, so that was part of it. But the other part of it was when I started my own firm, I worked with a lot of aviation clients. So because I did that, we were I was very familiar with the flight path because many of the activities and events that we did for launching new service or new flight seats was at the flight path. So um, when I was working with Qantas, we launched the first Qantas A380 service, and we had a, a, few, a few press events and previews at flight path. And then um, I, being a flight attendant or former flight attendant, I loved the uniforms and the memorabilia. I really felt it's, it's, a, it's a hidden gem, and I don't think only aviation aficionados should know about it. I think everybody should know about it. And where else can you find a museum that's located on the tarmac of, you know, one of the world's largest international airports with amazing runway, runway views? You can stand there for hours and watch, you know, the aviation take flight. So I'm really proud to contribute to the museum's growth and development as we aspire to be a world-class museum. So it's a passion. You know, it's, it's really interesting because of where we all live locally and our proximity to the airport. For people that travel in and out of LAX, and if they are traveling on Sepulveda Boulevard going south, you can't help but miss the In-N-Out Burger, which is right there on the corner. And it's incredible how many people will stand. I mean, now we're talking pre-pandemic, but we'll stand on that grass and just photograph these airplanes landing. I still, to this day, because I can see the airplanes taking off from my house. I have a two-story home. I'm able to see them traveling west. And it still just grabs me like, whoa, how does it stay up there? If there's some of these um, international, like you mentioned Qantas, and some of these international airplanes are so ginormous. It, 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 it's exciting to me today, as, as much today as it was as a child watching aircraft take off. I just I had to throw that in there. Robert, when it comes to your involvement, why did you decide to get involved with the flight path? I've always had a lifelong interest in uh, commercial aviation and, again, having grown up next to LAX and walking on Boeing Avenue to Westport Heights Elementary School probably had something mm-hmm. to do with that. Um, but when I read about the founding of the flight path in the newspaper, I knew I wanted to get involved. So after I attended the second fundraising gala in 1997, I wrote to Maury Plotkin, who was the founder of Flight Path, to express my interest. And he invited me to lunch, and we had a great conversation. And at the end of the lunch, he asked me if I'd like to be on the board. So naturally, I accepted. 
Yeah, well, Maury Plotkin was certainly an icon in this community. We'll be talking about him, I'm sure, when we talk about history. And Lynn, why did you get involved with the flight path specifically? Well, I actually first walked into the museum before it was officially open. Um, As I mentioned, I was working at the time at the Argonaut newspaper, Mm -hmm. and the owner-publisher then was Dave Johnson. So he pretty much knew what was going on in the community, and he had told me, you know, there's construction going on, and there's going to be a museum over there by LAX. And he thought, because of my my TWA background, that I might be interested. But uh, he actually kind of wanted to know what the status was and said, (laughs) why don't you go over there (laughs) and see what's going on? So, uh, So off I went. And uh, the doors were wide open, and uh, what they were doing is uh, putting up uh, the ceiling and lighting in the main gallery. And uh, the first person I met, actually, was Barbara Yamamoto. Oh, I know Barbara. Yep. She Mm -hmm. was, at the time, the director of community relations for LAX. So we were chatting. She was kind of filling me in, and um, she learned I was with the Argonaut and also had the aviation career. And so she actually was the one who invited me and encouraged me to become a volunteer. Um, hmm. Right That's then, I guess, the uh, the needs really were still setting up the exhibits and acquiring exhibit cases and more aviation items and memorabilia. Well, I right there I did know I could help. You know, yeah. having just lost TWA, I I was passionate about preserving that airline history and it was part of Flight Path's mission, so uh, this fit right in for me. Um also, I was the archivist for the Los Angeles chapter of Silver Wings, and that's the TWA Flight Attendant Retiree Group. So uh, we got them involved. They purchased an exhibit case. We donated uniforms from 1944 to 2001, and, you know, I had some personal items as well. And uh, I also enjoyed going uh, downtown L.A., and I assisted in getting uh, some exhibit items and I have to say, the more I learned about Flight Path and the mission and all the scholarships they had been giving right. out even talk prior yeah. to the museum, uh, I have to say that really flourished my desire to totally stay involved, and it's uh, a wonderful asset for our community. Right. Great. Well, we're going to talk a lot about that and, and more about the uniforms and TWA, but before we do... Robert, we want to. I'm, I'm, I'm deeming you as the historian. You said you studied history <laughs> in college. Um, sure. Clearly, you, you love that. So, why don't you share with us a little bit about the Imperial Terminal, uh, terminal at LAX? What's, what's the history of that? Well, this is a building that was built on the south side of LAX uh, in the early 1950s, and um, it served as a terminal mainly for the charters and non-scheduled airlines back in the 1960s and the 1970s. You might remember some of these airlines when I list them. World Airways, 
Sierra Pacific, Condor of Germany, Martin Air Holland, and of course the famous Laker Airways Skytrain. Mm-hmm. And uh, after the airline industry was deregulated in 1978 and the Tom Bradley International Terminal opened in 1984, the, a lot of those airlines moved out of the Imperial Terminal and commuter airlines such as Air Resorts and Air LA uh, moved in there. And then it was also the private air terminal for the famous MGM Grand Air. Hmm. And uh, MGM Grand Air, uh, they were featured on the, the show with Robin Leach, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And they operated these luxury first-class Boeing 727s and eventually Douglas DC-8s from L.A. to New York City. And that went on for a number of years until about uh, 2000. And um, the airline folded and um, was later reincarnated as Champion Air, which uh, flew professional and college sports teams around the country. And interestingly enough, they still use the tarmac outside the Imperial Terminal to fly those teams around. Um, Then in um, 2002, Los Angeles World Airport's approached flight path about turning the Imperial Terminal into a museum, and part of that was to have a gala celebration in a pavilion on the tarmac to celebrate the 75th anniversary of LAX and the 100th anniversary of the Wright Brothers flight, and, uh, and that was a, a beautiful event and the beginning of a beautiful partnership between uh, LAWA and the community. It's one of our past presidents, Ruin Ake, who's very famous in Westchester also. Mm-hmm. She, she'd like to say that Flight Path is the best community relations program that LAWA has, and it has been a truly outstanding partnership. Right. So that people understand what LAWA means, because you and I both do, but would you like to define what LAWA means? Sure. Sure. LAWA is Los Angeles World Airports. It's the city of Los Angeles agency that owns and operates LAX, Van Nuys, and owns 17,750 acres of land in Palmdale. Wow, yeah. We, there, LAX has not gone without its controversies in our community. <laughs> I know, frankly, where my home once stands is now LAX property, and we'll be bringing all the rental cars and the people mover over to LAX. My junior high school right now is a Hertz rent a car place. You know, we've seen we've seen some major changes in the community of Westchester as the runway continued to move north. A lot of you know, a lot of things happened back in the days when you and I grew up in this community, but there's no doubt about what a magnificent, magnificent airport that is that we can all be so proud of. It it, it really is a world class airport and I'm I'm thrilled to be connected to it in my own way. Well, Agnes, when we yeah. think about the Flight Path Museum, um, you have a mission. What What is your mission as the president of the Flight Path Museum, LAX? Well, it's actually our organizational mission. When we were founded in 1995 as a nonprofit, we laid out what this mission was, which is first to honor aviation pioneers and to preserve the heritage and history of aviation and aerospace, and educationally to encourage youth to pursue education and careers in these fields. This year, we're actually celebrating 25 years of glamour, adventure, and excitement of aviation and aerospace. For our honoring aviation uh, pioneers, we have the Flight Path Walk of Fame. It's equivalent to the famed Hollywood Walk of Fame, and right now we have 54 honorees 
and we've just accepted the newest honoree who will be inducted later this year. It's basically a who's who of aviation and aerospace. Name a name, and they are there. Our vast uniform collection preserves the history of not only national but global airlines, including many, many airlines that are no longer with us and encompasses over 600 uniforms from 76 airlines. The Space mm. Gallery is our newest gallery, and this supports the space part of our Aerospace Heritage Preservation Charter. Uh, the gallery was designed to provide a colorful, immersive, and ever-changing experience for our guests, and all the kids love it, and we're getting new artifacts as we speak. Oh, but that's our wonderful. education is to encourage to seek careers in the industry, and to date, we've awarded more than $155,000 in student scholarships. We also offer a Learn to Fly Flight Path Flyers program that I'll talk about in a little while. Right. And we support our educational mission with our William Schoenberger Technical Research Library. We have over 890 volumes. Many of the documents and material that we have are unaware, unavailable elsewhere. One of our right. priceless is the original. May, I'm going to interrupt you, Agnes, if you don't mind. And please, please accept my interruption. I'm going to have Robert really go into the details of the library in a little bit. So I, I'd like to have, I'd like to hold back on that so that he has, he, so that he can really get into the, the the nitty gritty of that library, if that's okay with you. I I think that this is. There is, I can appreciate the excitement, so I, I apologize for interrupting you, but I, I, I wanted to just um, find out a little bit more about the history um, of the Flight Path Museum. Robert, you, you shared a little bit about this, but I understand, sure. I understand it wasn't originally called the Flight Path Museum, correct? It was called the, it was called the Learning Path, right? Well, the, the original name was the Flight Path Learning Center. And, that's what it was, um, Learning Center. That, that's correct. And so the, the reason why the name Learning Center was used, the, the, the founders of the museum felt, well, now, or the organization felt that museum was a little bit too antiquated. And the, the term Learning Center kind of went into what the purpose was, which was to, to recognize um, Southern California's rich aviation history and to guide young people toward careers in aviation and aerospace. But, but the, the, the organization was started by Maury Plotkin. He had been president of the Westchester LAX Chamber of Commerce, which is now the LAX Coastal Chamber of Commerce. And he saw that there was a, a gap in the community, that there was no place to, all this great history had taken place in Southern California for aviation, and there was really no good museum for that. And uh, no good place for uh, young people to to learn all about that history, and so he had the, uh, formed a committee of the chamber, the uh, Aero Club of Southern California, which used to be the owners of the Spruce Goose, and the mm -hmm. Southern California Historical Aircraft Foundation, which operates the Western Museum of Flight in Torrance. And so, from that committee, they started a new 501c3 nonprofit organization called Flight Path Learning Center of Southern California Inc. And um, from that, over time, um, we've felt that um, when to go to revert back to the name museum, so now we call it Flight Path Museum, because when you say museum, people know what it is. 
they have an expectation of what that is versus mm-hmm. versus learning center. But there's really two two physical parts to our organization. Also, there's the the flight path aviation walk of fame that Agnes had mentioned, and that goes along Sepulveda Boulevard just north of LAX. So between LAX and Manchester, we have plaques embedded in the sidewalk honoring aviation and aerospace pioneers and luminaries. And these go from famous people like Howard Hughes and Donald Douglas and uh, Bessie Coleman, uh, astronauts, and our, our most recent inductee, who was uh, Sir Richard Branson, who's the chairman of uh, Virgin Group. One of the qualifications for uh, people's names to be embedded in the sidewalk is that they have to have a connection to Southern California. And Richard Branson was a little bit of an interesting case because it took him a while to get that, but eventually all three of his airlines flew to LAX, Virgin Atlantic, Virgin Australia, and now the former Virgin America. And we also recognized him for Virgin Atlantic as well. And we've organized all the plaques into different sections. So we have war heroes, pioneers, airlines, astronauts, and uh, and others. And, of course, That's the second part of our organization is mm-hmm. the Learning Center, which is, you know, called the museum inside the Imperial mm-hmm. Terminal at LAX. That's fascinating. I can remember when my kids were going through elementary school, um, that was a field trip that that mm-hmm. you would go over to to the to the learning center because there is um um old airplanes and things like that that we all know is located at the proud bird which is sitting you know on the very what is that direction east side of of LAX um but 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 you have simulators and all those really cool things in there. We're, we'll talk about that. But so when you say learning center, there there is like you said, there's a there's a component of of each. Lynn, you had mentioned up at the at the beginning of the show about the uniforms, and it's it's very interesting because back in the day when you and Agnes flew, you were not called flight attendants; you were called stewardess. And there were very few men in your field, um, uh, and uh, you you know it, if it's a museum, then you have to obviously have a collection. So, I I understand that you do, but I thought you could tell us more about the actual collection of the uniforms. No, I'd love to. Well, as Agnes mentioned, um, to date, we definitely have um, several hundred airline uniforms with over 70 airlines represented. Um, And it starts with the United Stewardess uniform from 1930. Um, Also, um, we have some pretty thorough collections of a lot of our major airlines like TWA and United and American. Um, We have their full collections from the 1940s and right up to the present. So we're Hmm. we're pretty proud of that. Um, And I think one of the most exciting times, though, was when Agnes and I were flying. I started in the early 70s, right at the cusp when the term flight attendant uh, came into play, and that was when men were hired to be actually cabin attendants. Prior to that, they were pursers or service managers, and women weren't allowed in those positions, Mm -hmm. but they did not have men 
actually flying and working as uh, stewardesses. So that was Mm -hmm. an exciting time to start, actually. Um, Also, uh, some of the most exciting and colorful uniforms are from the mid-60s to the early 70s. And that's kind of also what was called the golden age of flying. You'll see a lot of bright colors Uh, some hot pants and go-go boots, Hmm. and a lot of famous designers. Um, For example, Pan Am. They had designers like Don Loper and Edith Head. Do we have those in our museum? Yes, we do. Um, Hmm. At TWA, some famous designers were Oleg Cassini, Valentino, Ralph Lauren, Hmm. Um, I started in the Valentino. Um, it was beautiful. Uh, we had a, a tan and a, a brown and a, a kind of a plum. I loved the plum uniform. You'd be in the safari dress that you could unbutton a couple of the buttons, and you had hot mm-hmm. pants underneath, and you wore wet look boots. Hey, you were like hot, you know. <laughs> Um, and uh, and uh, but uh, also we have one of our most valuable vintage uniforms is a Braniff uniform designed by Emilio Pucci. Um, in those days, late sixties, early seventies, Braniff those flight attendants were like rock stars. And uh, we're so pleased to have that uh, in our collection. Um, Another unique thing is uh, in 1968, TWA had a short-lived promotion where they had paper dresses. You would, the flight attendant would get on board in their regular uniform and then have to change into a paper dress depending on what the theme was that day. And the menus were uh, coincided with the dress. You'd have the French gold lame, so French, wonderful uh, French cuisine was served with the finest uh, French wines. Then there was the English wench, the Manhattan penthouse, and the Roman toga. Um, this is kind of a, a kind of funny in a way. Um, the flight attendants, while it was only maybe I don't know seven or an eight month promotion, uh, they had to get on board and they had to have a pair of scissors with them, be to be able to cut the uniform to whatever height they were. And a lot of these uniforms did not come with pantaloons. And there was a lot of bending, so, of course, they had to also (laughs) find, you know, the appropriate thing that went along with this. Now, remember, back in the day, there was smoking on the airplanes. While they were supposed to be fire retardant, well, let's just put it this way. One of the reasons it was a short-lived promotion, well, you can imagine. So... Anyway, but it's exciting, and the menus back in the day were also, they were art pieces, not just with this promotion, but all the airlines had 
wonderful um, designers do their menus. Um, on the uniforms, we have a lot of wonderful international uniforms as well. For example, Singapore Airlines, there is this beautiful, patterned, long dress. Um, additionally, a lot of airlines that flew to Hawaii, they had beautiful mumus, um, and there were lovely patterned long dresses. We have an exquisite collection of those. Um, yeah, one of the things that we are proud of is we do have many uniforms from airlines that are no longer here today. The mm -hmm. TWA, Pan Am, Eastern, Virgin America, Western, MGM Grand, PSA, there's so many. Um, Mexicana, we also have a lot of international carrier um, uniforms. By the way, Mexicana, um, they were the first international carrier into LAX. And they flew for like, I think it was like 90, 95 or 98 years. Um, so we have a lot of memorabilia of them and other international airlines like Japan Airlines, Virgin Australia. You know, uh, Marsha, I can go on and on and on. Yes. But I think people will be have uh, enjoy seeing all these yes. wonderful things of the past and the present. I, is there any uniforms right now that if you could just, like, wave the wand that you would just love to have that you don't have? Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, we we think, yeah, having oh, over 70 airlines is, is great, and it is good yes. in that in the U.S., a lot of aviation museums do not have the amount that we do. But, yes, uh, I would love to see have us have uniforms from Hainan Airlines uh, of China. Oh, they are exquisite. Um, Etihad, Emirates, Korean, Air Malta, hmm. uh, Air India, Thai Airways. Yeah, I can, you know, list sure. tons of them. Um, and also nice. some of our domestic carriers, while we may have um, a couple of years, for example, even Alaska Airlines, you know, very prominent. Um, we actually only have a couple of uniforms hmm. uh, through their era. So anybody out there, um, you know, flying with Alaska um, or even any other airline, uh, yes. please give us a call if you want to make a very special donation. Um, please call us and let us know well, um, if you have something. That's really great. This is a great opportunity and a great segue for people to know that you have a fabulous website. So let me just mention that right now, which is flightpathlax.com, so that you can visit the website and get in touch. But, Agnes, I know that there are some really exciting enhancements that are happening at the Flight Path right now, and I would love for you to tell us about some of those because of this pandemic, some of the things that um, you have been um, doing to enhance uh, people's experiences at the flight path. Well, Marcia, thank you for mentioning the new website. It's something that we are really, really proud of, and it's something that one of our board members, J.C. Dick, was instrumental in helping us put together. In fact, not only do we have a new website, but we have updated 
and made our logo more representative of the mission of our museum so that it encompasses the past, the present, and the future. So we're really excited that we're, it's almost like a rebirth and mm-hmm. the future is so thrilling ahead. We've also acquired some really amazing artifacts, and one of them was joining our Douglas DC-3 aircraft on the tarmac, and that is a, an original DC-7 aircraft passenger boarding stairs that we were given by the Santa Monica Museum of Flying. And these were the stairs that were the original stairs used when Mr. Douglas was delivering aircraft to his customers. So it's not only historic, but it also serves as an amazing selfie spot because it's located right on the tarmac with the theme building, the new tower and the old tower, and the runways right behind you. So once we reopen, I encourage everybody to get the selfie of a lifetime. No kidding. That's so cool. Go ahead. (laughs) We also have, uh, once you get there, a Take 5 outdoor patio we never really did anything with the patio, but we felt that it was wonderful for kids and families to be able to enjoy themselves before or after a tour to the museum. But what's really amazing about this is that this number five was the original LAX terminal number assigned to Delta Airlines. The number um, now has been recreated into that sign, and that's why it's called the Take Five sign. Um, when Delta moved to terminal two and three, um, that sign was given to us, and it was refreshed and installed by our, our partners at Los Angeles World Airport. So they did an amazing job, and I can hardly wait until everybody gets a chance to relax on that patio. Oh, boy. You and you and everybody listening. That's, that's so cool. I would also just like people to know that when you do visit this website, that there is actually, for those, there's so many things that we are all doing now, the technology that we are embracing. For I mean, because if you don't embrace it, you, you're just going to be fr- frustrated and whatever. There's actually on your site at the flypathlax.com, you can forward slash virtual dash tour, and you can actually take a docent-led tour of the facility, which I think is fabulous, and that I would encourage people to do that because we do live here. But once we all start flying again, and when people have a layover, people are going to be visiting family in Los Angeles. What a fun, what a fun place to go with a family to visit the Flight Path Museum. I so encourage people to do that. And you mentioned something, and I thought Robert, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, so I do apologize. But Robert. Um, you had talked, we were going to talk about the scholarship program, which yes. is um, the Pete Conrad Scholarship Program. Tell us about that. Sure, sure. Since uh, the very beginning, we've had a, a scholarship program. Our, our first flight path scholarship was actually funded by Mary Lou Crockett. You know, Westchester mm-hmm. is such a wonderful community because we've had people who have been just outstanding community leaders for years and years, and Mary Lou was, was one of those those people, and I'm glad to have have known her, and her daughter is mm-hmm. still one of our, our supporters of our museum. Uh, but um, after our, our first few galas, we had honored um, Charles Pete Conrad. He was uh, the commander of Apollo 12, and he was president at the gala. And um, shortly after that gala, he, he tragically passed away in a motorcycle accident. 
So Flight Path had decided to rename our scholarship in his memory, and uh, his wife for several years also had uh, contributed to that scholarship program. It's the only scholarship program that Flight Path funds directly, and um, we give um, up to four $1,000 scholarships a year. Um, but our Flight Path scholarship programs have also grown through sponsored scholarships. So our first one was uh, with Clay Lacey. Clay Lacey is a very famous pilot. He uh, uh, retired from United Airlines after like a 40-year career as number one in seniority. Um, he was also an aviation entrepreneur starting a business jet service at a Van Nuys airport. And a lot of the air-to-air filming that you see in TV commercials and in movies, that was something that he pioneered. Uh, so he annually funds a $5,000 scholarship, and we present the top four. And uh, from those, he picks the, the winner himself. And in the past, he has been present at the gala. Sometimes he would fly in in his own DC-3 to present the scholarship. Um, our next scholarship is um, for Maury Plotkin. Uh, Maury, of course, is the founder of Flight Path, and his children now annually fund a $5,000 scholarship. And last year, we added two more scholarship programs, one for Howard Drawlinger and Anton Ackerman. H- Howard, of course, was known as Mr. Westchester. Right. Uh, he actually gave Flight Path its start with our what we call our rotunda in uh, front of the Ralph supermarket along the sidewalk there. And um, so his family is now funding a $2,500 scholarship. And then the last scholarship is from my father, Anton Ackerman, uh, he passed in 2018, and he was an aerospace engineer, and he worked on a lot of aerospace programs, the Atlas Centaur rocket program, the Skylab, or America's first space station, and then he retired from Hughes Space and Communications, which is now Boeing Satellite Systems. And he loved Flight Path a lot. He he attended a, a lot of the galas, and, and he'd bring in many out-of-town guests and friends to to visit the museum. So my family, friends, and neighbors, and local businesses nice. uh, gave money to fund a $500 scholarship. And we also used some of the money to um, help build out the Apollo exhibit, which is uh, the newest part of our space gallery. Let me ask you course, something real quick. I just Because I want to understand something about the scholarship mm-hmm. program, and I'm looking at the clock going, oh, my God. Um, who are these high school students? Are these Middle school students, are they high college students? Who applies for the scholarships? These, these are for people pursuing undergraduate degrees in, in engineering and aerospace, and uh, they all have the same qualifications on it. They, they need to be California residents in order to apply for, for the scholarships, and then um, we usually present the scholarships at our annual gala in October. Okay, good to, good to know. Um, Agnes, we, we, we've heard about Robert and the scholarships, but can you tell us more about the Learn to Fly Path? Um, I'm sorry, Learn to Fly Flight Path Flyers program. Can you just Absolutely. briefly tell us about that? Yes, this is really an opportunity for anyone 12 or over, could be an adult, it could be a child, to learn to fly. The courses are designed as an introduction only to the world of flight and the excitement that being a pilot holds. Simulator-based, and it's taught by either active or retired professional pilots, including our own Captain Doug Happ, who's always assisted by his trusty assistant, Linda May, and they have completed quite a few courses. 
The students learn on these simulators all about aerodynamics, about air and ground operations, and flying skills right from the first session. And we have both beginner classes and advanced classes, which are three-hour sessions that are on Saturday morning. The cost to learn to fly is just $50 per course. So it's an amazing opportunity. In no fact, kidding. we have a successful alumnus. Captain Demetrius Ingram was hired in 2017 as a first officer at PSA Airlines, which is a subsidiary of American. And he learned to fly with our Flight Path Flyers program, both in the beginner course and the advanced course, and he went on to actually assist in teaching the courses. He is an amazing example of someone who utilized all of the opportunities ahead of him to achieve his dream. Wow. From, from student to instructor. How cool is that? That's really cool. Um, okay. Um, Lynn, I, I know, and I'm, I'm keeping an eye on our time, but I know that you've been a volunteer, as you mentioned, since, since it's opened. Are there some other longtime volunteers that, that have also had that kind of longevity with you? Um, yeah, actually there is. Um, we've, we've had volunteers that have been with us for about 15 years at least, and uh, we also have new ones uh, in the last year um, and two. Um, also, you know, our board members as well. We are all volunteers and come from a vast walk of life, um, from the FAA, airlines, and aerospace, and LAX, uh, a lot of community members, um, some of our volunteers too. It's not only uh, people who have worked in aviation or the airlines. Um, a couple of our volunteers came from Trader Joe's, and still he still mm -hmm. works at Trader Joe's. And another a gentleman who is fabulous, um, he works on the show Let's Make a Deal, so everybody actually brings not only great aviation knowledge, but a lot of different experiences of who they are in our community. And that only adds to our guest experience. So um, as a volunteer, it's fun to work there. you got a great view yeah. of the runway, and you will see people um, – from all over the world come in. So in that regard, it's also um, an interesting global experience. So I'm sure. Um, yeah. And people can actually um, go to your website and learn how to become a volunteer right on your website. Am I correct? Yes, absolutely. Okay, you can perfect. go to the website. Um, there's an mm -hmm. application, and um, our newest board member and also our vice president, um, Sarah Gaspar, is our volunteer chair. And as soon as she receives the application, she gives you a call and Terrific. You go from there. Yep. That's great. When, when we get out of <clears throat> our, our house arrest. Um, in the time yeah. remaining, there's a couple of things that I wanted to hear about from you, Robert, and maybe you could sort of wrap them up into two things. So number one, I, I do want to hear about this library. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about this library to start with, and then I want to ask you about the book you're writing. So tell us about the library that I so 
uh, rudely interrupted Agnes to talk about. What what is the <laughs> what's the story on the library? Well, the library is named after one of our past board members, uh, Bill Schoenberger. He was a very famous aviation writer and a longtime board member. But our library has a wonderful and extensive collections of books and magazines, videos, technical manuals, and airport planning documents, uh, some of which you're not going to find anywhere in the world. I mean, we have um, conceptual drawings that were created for LAX that were uh, never never used uh, you know, such as, uh, you know, underground passageways that would um, go up to um, loading bridges to get to the to the back doors of the, the 747 um, aircraft technical manual so that you could plan out your range of uh, a DC-3. And uh, even uh, sales uh, notebooks, uh, why one should buy a Lockheed L-1011 jetliner. Um, hmm. So these... These artifacts, they're available for researchers at no charge. You just have to make an appointment for that. And uh, we continue to, to grow our collection over time. And um, it's, uh, again, just things that you won't find anywhere else uh, in the world, especially with with materials related to LAX. That's wonderful. I, I don't even – how does one even um... – accumulate all of that material that 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 had to have been quite an effort on a lot of people's parts we've been very fortunate in terms of our museum that um, people know where we are and what we do and uh, so people in their lifetime will will give us things and whether it's uh, the the uniforms or the model airplanes that we have on display um, or they end up becoming bequests to the museum and then we'll, we will we will take them in. But uh, just please don't just show up to the museum with them. Please call us or email us in advance to let us know what you have, so right. that uh, that we know that it will will work for our collection. Uh, but um, but like I said, we've been been very fortunate with uh, with the relations that we have with people and actually with other museums, um, and that's how we were, were able to obtain the um, the, the DC-7 um, aircraft stairs. Um, that was from the, the Museum of Flying in Santa Monica. That's so nice. The, that collaborative mm-hmm. effort is just lovely because actually everybody helps. I mean, they they get to to contribute, and then you also get to give notification about their airport as well because they have a pretty cool hangar there. Um, and then you, you're writing a book because you don't have anything else better to do, right? So because you're that head <laughs> historian, right? So... You're well, writing a book. Well, <laughs> exactly. The Imperial Terminal is actually quite a, a fascinating place. I mean, it has had quite a history, you know, both the commercial history for, for the airlines, and serving as the museum since 2003, and, and a number of, of triumphs and tragedies that have occurred out there on the, on the tarmac. Um, uh, you know, some, some of the things that the, the museum is still used for today is um, the airport uh, it does use the museum for some of their meetings. We, they also have, every number of years they will have what they call an Air X Air X disaster training. Um, so the tarmac areas in the museum is used for that. Uh, there's a aviation career day uh, that they hold. Um, the community relations department of the airport has bus tours there. In Flight Path, we have our own programs there as well, such as um, sometimes we'll have aircraft on display, and then of course we have our annual fundraising gala in a pavilion on the tarmac and mm-hmm. it's it, it really is lovely to have dinner on the tarmac with a, a view of the 
of the uh, the airfield. It's a, a view you will get nowhere else. Um, and then, of course, um, just like uh, the rest of the airport, uh, just the most filmed airport in the world, the Imperial Terminal is part of that as well. Um, it's been featured in TV and the movies. There's the Charlie's Angels episode that was filmed there, and the Karate Kid at uh, Seconds <laughs> as Okinawa Airport. So if you're if you have some free time, you can you can see that um, Triumph and Tragedy. One of the the tragedies, of course, was um, you know Senator Robert Kennedy was assassinated in in Los Angeles, and um, um, but his casket was loaded onto the Air Force 707. And, uh, and took off for the East Coast from the Imperial Terminal. Um, good things, triumph. Um, when the city of Los Angeles uh, won the Olympic Games, when Mayor Garcetti uh, came back from South America to make that announcement, it was on the tarmac at the Imperial Terminal. And, of course, we've had many fun fun events. Richard Branson seems to be a recurring theme in that one. <laughs> uh, when he started his uh, Virgin Australia airline, he had a, a big party with a Boeing 777, and he was standing on the wing, popping open champagne bottles with flight attendants and um, Virgin America launch. And then, of course, um, Flight Path. We had over 200 guests uh, when we presented him a Flight Path plaque. Um, And we've had lots of other special events, too. And this is why it's important to become a member of the museum, so you can be invited to these special events, whether it's with Richard Branson or the Airbus A380 test flight. Uh, We had uh, the Qantas A380 start of service the Delta 747 retirement. We had Air Tahiti Nui 787 Dreamliner, the Tahitian Dreamliner. Uh, Delta had their Airbus A350, and and we also had our friends at Iberia with their Airbus A330. And these are sometimes airplanes you otherwise wouldn't get a chance to to see unless you bought a ticket. And, And sometimes you also get to go in parts of the airplane that you don't normally get to do during a flight, like the cockpit or the into the crew rest areas. So, so will your definitely. book be sort of encapsulating all that you just talked about just now, just all of the events that have happened in that Imperial Historic Building? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. The working right. title right now is On the Tarmac, The History of the Imperial Terminal and the Flight Path Museum. Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a great title. <laughs> that's a terrific title. So, Agnes, this is, this is your baby, and I understand that this, this, these are very challenging times for the museum because it is closed currently. But what are some of the things that you're doing now to help support the museum during this time? Okay, well, first of all, our board is actively working on developing a plan for what the museum will look like and what our operations will look like once the stay-at-home orders are lifted, and that's being done behind the scenes. But um, with the help of some of our board members, we are making handmade cloth face masks from exclusive vintage LAX fabric. No one has this fabric except the Flight Path Museum. And so we are just thrilled that everyone seems to have really liked them, and so we've sold over 225 of them. So if anyone's looking for a face covering, visit our website to order. All the proceeds go to the Flight Path Museum scholarships and educational programs. There is not one penny that's spent for paying for anything. We're all donating our time, and we're just excited that we can do something to help uh, during the closure. Oh, I think that's so cool. That's so cool. In fact, you know, what, what makes me so excited about hearing what you've just said is 
I I know some flight attendants. Lynn and I happened to I went to high school with somebody that I believe Lynn knows um, that flew with TWA. I also have a very good friend friend that worked for and so did her husband for American Airlines and flew till they retired from American Airlines. How cool would it be for past employees of your industry? To actually wear, oh my God, that just is so awesome! To wear a mask of fabric that looked like a scarf that you that you wore, and then you get to wear it proudly, and then you know that the proceeds go to the museum. I mean, if that's not a win-win, I don't know what is. That is just phenomenal, and that can be found on your website as well. Is that correct? Yes, it can. Just go to the home page, and we make them to order, and quantity orders are welcome. And we would just like to continue to do this as long as we have that fabric available and Absolutely. as long as we are required to wear a mask. Yes. You know, it's it's so interesting about when you think about your own personal flight experiences. As an L.A. person, my in-laws lived in Detroit, and we flew to Detroit twice a year, 4th of July week time, and then also during the holidays, we flew on American Airlines. And your flight attendant is what gave you the comfort and the, you know, sure, you want your pilot, you might say a secret prayer for him or her, but your flight attendant is what makes the experience the experience. And I just want to thank you guys that that did that for all those years because what people don't realize but I do because I have a friend that was a flight attendant what the what the toll takes on your personal body those carts are not light doing that in go-go boots could not have been easy and you know and it was just it was a really that was a Physically, not to mention, and I think this is so important to mention, not only were you serving people their cocktails and their meals and, and, and telling us how to use the mask if, you know, and all of those safety requirements, but you had to, you had to keep up, um, what's the word I want to use? Your te- you, had to be, you were tested regularly for first aid and, and how to exit a, uh, an airline and all of those requirements. That was a constant certification. Am I right about that? Am I saying it correctly? Yes, we oh. had to go through recurrent training. But one other thing, Marcia, that we had to do was in the early days, we had to step on a scale before we were able to yep. um, go to work on our flight. And if we were too heavy, we would get a um, we would get reprimanded. Mhm. It is thank goodness for now. <laughs> but you know, no, I, you're I, I, you, you're totally yeah. right though about you know some of the uh, body aches uh, on the L ten eleven TriStar. It flew it flew slightly nose high, and there were huge carts. And while you didn't necessarily notice that in flight, but when you got off. Your calves did. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, but it was mm-hmm. still a very exciting time, and uh, I certainly am glad that I had the opportunity to do it. Me well, too. I'll tell you, if you love to fly, I mean, if you love to travel, and certainly we can get in the car and travel, but if you want to go to Europe, or you, you're not going to drive, 
Do you want to go where my last international flight was to Africa? I can hardly wait to be able to have the experience whenever that's possible for all of us to be able to get on a flight and go to a destination that is just calling out our name. But what you are offering, and I would just so recommend that people once again visit your website, flightpathlax.com, and get a sense of what this museum offers. Back from the early days with Barbara Yamamoto, who I remember so clearly when she was associated at the Westchester Y while I was working there as well, to where we are today. It's very exciting. The scholarships are exciting. The simulators are exciting. To think that you went from a student to an instructor, that's exciting. And you're home anyway. So, you know, at some point you're going to be able to go back out. And I recommend that this is on your to-do list. Sure, people want to go see the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Don't miss ours because ours is really important to us as well. And I just, I'm just so delighted that you would be willing. And I know that it's, you know, there's a lot to share. You could each probably do your full one hour all by yourself. <laughs> but I want to thank you for your cooperation and for just sharing what's so important to each of you in this Flight Path Museum, LAX. This has been, for me, just for me personally, this has been such a treat to know about this, as you said, hidden gem within our community of Westchester because this is where I live. This is where I call home. So I just want to thank all three of you, Agnes, Robert, Lynn, for, for being my guest today. This has been fabulous. Thank you, Marcia. Yes. Thank you very Thanks, much. Thank Marcia. Thank you. My my pleasure. So until next time, everybody, I'm going to let you go for now, but that doesn't mean that I won't be back next week with Kristen DeCue, who is a Marie Kondo person that's going to help us refresh ourselves and see what we can do with the house that we're living in today, which may not be the way you'd like it, but you might have a chance to do something about that. So Kristen will be joining me um, next week on the Born to Talk radio show. But until next time, everybody, I wish you all safe passage wherever you go. Be safe, and I look forward to joining you next week. Bye for now. <laughs>